I live about a mile from the Harrison Street corridor in Berkeley. And so fairly often I ride my bike or I drive there as I go to pick up a few things at Whole Foods or maybe grab lunch at Llama Beans or a beer at Fieldwork Brewing. And uh, several years ago, as I began doing this, I, I go west on Harrison from San Pablo. You know, I noticed a half dozen, maybe a dozen folks living there in uh, trucks and cars, campers, vans. And then I noticed a little while later that it had become a couple dozen. And in this last year, I've watched as that has become 40 or 50 folks living there in campers and cars and vans and trucks. And uh, whenever I ride past there or I drive there I, uh, and I see somebody, uh, one of the residents outside of their vehicle, I'll uh, try to make eye contact Nod my head. But whenever I'm there, I often have this feeling in my gut. It's uh, like there's something missing, something not right. Almost like a, a dislocation. There's this gnawing question, how did we get here when this is a last resort for folks? And what am I supposed to do about it? And so, one of the things that's happened, and this is kind of strange, uh, is this song has come to my head as I'm writing through there. Uh, it's actually from Sesame Street. Who are the people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood? Who are the people in your neighborhood? They're the people that you meet each day. The song goes on to describe your mail carrier and your firefighter, maybe your grocery clerk. And... And this song has been in my head as I travel down Harrison Street. Who are the people in my neighborhood living in cars and campers and trucks each day? The passage from chapter 2 of the Acts of the Apostles that we heard earlier is one of the passages that has inspired me and challenged me for decades. And uh, once again, I received one of those great gifts from Scripture that can happen when, when you return to a Scripture you know, but there's something new awaiting you there. And this was thanks to a biblical scholar named Matt Skinner. And uh, Skinner 
reminds us that this passage takes place probably two months after the crucifixion. And that the people who were there, the hundred plus that we are told were living together, were probably actually travelers from the Galilee, right? That, that region in the north. And they had probably been traveling with Jesus and the rest of the disciples for months, maybe years. And so they were likely there with the crowds in Jerusalem and were there in Jerusalem when Jesus was executed by the state. And were there when there were reports that he had risen from the tomb. And they remained, likely at great risk. And what made this even more difficult is that um, it's likely that these were people who were fishers and farmers, people who lived by subsistence from the land and the sea. And so there they are in Jerusalem, far from their fields and their nets. How are they going to survive? Well, we're told that what they did was they acted from radical mutuality. A kind of uh, generosity that gives life. They, uh, they took what they had. They held it in common. And they followed a pattern that actually Jesus had started with them months and maybe years earlier in his table fellowship, which meant that it always included the most vulnerable. And their salvation, their healing was close at hand. And uh, what we're told is that thousands saw this. They had the goodwill of everyone. And I think it's because of the witness that they gave, which was how they loved each other their willingness to sacrifice for each other and their insistence that no one be left behind. And in that, we see a witness that is as clear as I have ever seen of what this way of Jesus is really about. I think uh, that the first conversation started after our Open Door Dinner crew, this just incredibly dedicated group of people, managed to cook our jambalaya meal on Easter Sunday. It was right around then. And it was, uh, it was no easy feat. They, you know, they had to socially distance as they did it. They were in masks and gloves. They packaged each meal in a to-go container with a piece of chocolate and some water. And um, we offered them to those who came here to All Souls. And then we took dozens of these meals down to the camp on 
Harrison and to the underpass of Gilman and 80. And it was right around then that um, in conversation with folks, we realized that the need was even greater than we had before noon and that we could do something about it. And so that's how Project Sandwich began. It started, I think, with a hope to do 50 meals once a week and then quickly became 70 meals twice a week. And now, thanks to our friendship and partnership with St. Albans in Albany, we are headed for 70 meals four times a week. And it was on one of our visits um, to the Harrison camp that something shifted for me. Because now, uh, when I go through this camp of folks, um, I now know people there. We as a parish know and are known by people there. And um, it really became clear this last week, actually. It was Wednesday, and Danny and I had uh, gone to uh, bring the meals down there so that they could be offered to folks. And um, one of the residents that we have gotten to know, Jessica Prado, uh, asked if she might interview us. You see, uh, Jessica... um, did her graduate work at the University of California, Berkeley, at the School of Journalism. And so right now she's working on a documentary about her life, about what it's like to live there uh, in the camp of folks on Harrison in this time of COVID-19. And so she asked if she might interview us about what we're doing. And so Danny and I said yes, and Jessica asked all kinds of incisive, heartfelt questions, and like, uh, why did we decide to do this? Who are the people that are participating? What was the kind of change that we hope to see in the next month? But it was her last question to me that got me. Because Jessica asked me um, what I might want to say to those who would be watching who are living in camps. And I paused. And then uh, I said, well, uh, I remembered that I had written a message on Easter Sunday, the Open Door Dinner folks had asked that I write a message on behalf of the congregation that we could put into each one of the meals. And so I started talking about this message that I had written. And that's when Jessica interrupted me. Because she said, um, she still has that message. And it's up on her fridge. So she asked that um, she could get it so that I might read it. 
which was really hard because I had tears in my eyes and I couldn't see much. And that, that was it. That was uh, one of those moments where there's like a, a knitting together and where uh, a form of salvation can be seen and known when relationship begins. And the salvation that I'm talking about is the very same salvation that we heard about at the end of our passage, but it has nothing to do with anybody's eternal damnation. Because the people being saved in Acts 2, and I have to hope us, this kind of saving, this word in Greek is sozo, and it also means healing, making sound, making whole. And every time it's used in the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostle, anywhere in Scripture, this healing... This salvation is not simply individual. It's communal. In fact, I wonder if it's always communal. You see, friends, our salvation is found when we share what we have. The local food author, Samin Nosrat, was recently interviewed about what it's like to cook now, to find meaning in the meals that we would usually make but can no longer share with friends and family around tables. And she invoked uh, the 20th century theologian and rabbi, Abraham Joshua Heschel, when he describes the Sabbath. And he writes, There is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Not to own, but to give. Not to control, but to share. I believe what Rabbi Heschel was speaking of is just what the early disciples were creating. What I glimpsed on Harrison Street on Wednesday. And what I believe we are all called to live in. For our salvation is known by how we live with each other. What we do to care for one another. We were made for this moment. Those disciples 
were in a spot very similar to ours, full of chaos and uncertainty and suffering and hardship. And from them we have received this gift, this witness, these practices that we need of prayer and scripture, of community, of generosity. We were made for this very moment. We were made to pray for each other by word and by deed. We were made for generosity, to give and to receive. We were made for each other.